Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
It's not something to get rid of. Rather, the way we pay attention to self-aversion is actually the ground of the past. change my life 
that much. I had planned to be home writing most of this time. I had to cancel all my travels and speaking engagements around the publication of the new book that you just mentioned, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, because the times are crazier than we ever thought they would be. When I wrote the book, I'm doing things online and by telephone. I'm actually extremely busy, but I'm also deeply concerned. It hasn't touched me personally in the way it has so many other people, and I feel for all the people suffering out there. You know, I agree with you. Even though our meditation museums are all closed, apart from just being home most of the time, which is something I've never had like this, it's been the same. And I do get concerned because I can't be contented at the same token knowing that maybe my next-door neighbor is not doing well. Maybe they don't have food, and I have, you know what I mean? So, Yes, know, I do. Have, what have you been observing inside of you in terms of what you have realized, especially these past four months? Well, it has reinforced for me once again that the wisdom that I absorbed when I was a young seeker from the spiritual traditions of the East, especially the Vedic traditions that arose from India, the core teachings and the core message of the importance of what is called sadhana, of daily practice, of going within, it has reinforced what the message of my book happens to be. It's reinforced for me my efficacy of my own writing in this book that happens to be coming out at this timely moment, that we have within us what we're seeking. And I call it in the book a sanctuary of peace that's within us. And we need the access to that peace. We need to sort of you know, use the methodologies that remove the veils to what we truly are. And that message has never been more important. And at the same time, the second half of that, what I call a spiritual two-step, the importance of the self-protection and the sustenance and the inner peace, the open awareness that comes from turning within and engaging in meditative practice is terribly important, but it's also temporary refuge. It's not escapism. People think often that it is, oh, the world is so troubled, I can't afford the luxury taking time to meditate or whatever practice they might want to do because they're so busy, they're so engaged. The second half of that spiritual two-step is that by going within, you create a stronger platform to come out and engage the world in a more effective way. One of the things that you're really quite passionate in saying is that spiritual practices are an absolute necessity. I don't know what the percentage is for Americans who are spiritually inclined, but what would you say is a good way for an individual who perhaps don't consider themselves to be spiritual to begin a practice of spirituality that can help them you know, gain some inner resolve yeah. or inner strength? It's a very good question because I've encountered a lot of people who when I 
talk to them about what my book is saying, they say, well, that makes sense, but I don't see myself as spiritual. And so I have to remind them that what we call spiritual practice, these methods, these techniques that have come to us from the world's traditions, they can be understood in a non-spiritual, certainly a non-religious way. Many of them have been studied very rigorously by scientists. I mean, I get messages all the time from my healthcare provider that they offer yoga classes. <laughs> they recommend that we meditate to reduce stress. This is medical. This is mm-hmm. mental health practice. You know, doctors and psychotherapists recommend meditation. They recommend mindfulness. They recommend yoga. They recommend the kind of deep breathing practices that the yogis have been advocating for many, many centuries. And so we see them as spiritual, but what is spiritual varies from one person to another. And what is a spiritual practice? What nourishes the soul? What opens the door to that inner sanctuary of peace may be different for different people. And some people won't even think of it as spiritual. They just think of it as good health maintenance or good ways to sustain a healthy balance of mind and body. And that would be fine. Think of these in practical terms. Google the research on meditation and you'll see, you know, thousands of studies. And wouldn't you say that it's people's impression or interpretation about spirituality which sometimes makes them not try to do meditation and do some yoga and try to read some more self-help books, there is a stigma connected to certain people who believe meditation and spirituality is for the birds. What would you tell them? I would tell them to investigate a little bit more objectively and look at all the people advocating it. They're not all space cadets. They're not all religious fanatics. You know, they're some of the world's great scientists, some of the world's great philosophers and psychologists and artists. It's not a flaky thing to do. It's intelligent self-care, just like getting good exercise or eating properly is intelligent self-care. It's not uh, flaky stuff. It's scientific and care about your own well-being, why not try some of these methods that have not only good pedigree because people of substance have recommended them, but there's a lot of data to support that these are efficacious to insert into your life. Why not try it out? Do an experiment. Mm -hmm. See what works. Exactly. We're witnessing the uprooting of many traditional institutions. Wow. Can you believe what you're witnessing, Philip? I'm old enough to remember the 1960s. I never thought we would witness social upheavals and changes like we did in those days. But this is reminding me of it. The turmoil, the unpredictability, the uncertainty, and the level of anxiety and fear out there is very reminiscent of those days. You know, it's different. And of course, yeah. you know, now we have things like social media and the internet that we never had in the past. 
but the anxiety and the fear and the uncertainty is very similar. Even then, we weren't dealing with something like a deadly virus that makes it, you know, impossible even to hug people. There was a lot of hugging, at least. A little bit more than (laughs) hugging, but yeah, we won't go there. With all the inequality, so much is happening here on Capitol Hill. Businesses, banks, the educational system, corporations, lives, marriages, systemic changes are occurring. How can we spiritualize outrage and mobilize anger in the face of injustice and somehow still seem to call it spiritual or still seem to come from a place where you don't become what you're fighting against? Yeah, I didn't realize I was calling you. You're in the heart of the beast there in Washington, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. Here I am in Los Angeles, which is supposed to be laid back and everything, and There's a lot of anxiety and fear in the streets here as well. I struggled with this myself. I found myself becoming very angry at what was going on in the world. I won't get too specific because I'll get carried away. And this started before the pandemic. It's just even worse now and more intense with the social justice demonstrations and the pandemic and social isolation and the intensity of the election coming up. But even when I started writing Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, this was part of what was going on for me and what I was observing in the world. You know, I wrote it a year ago, and it just happened to come out in the middle of all this. And, you know, I've been on the spiritual path for many years. I've taught meditation to hundreds and hundreds of people. I've write books, I give talks. And I found myself feeling like I did when I was a young man and I was outraged about what was going on in the world before I set foot on my spiritual path. And I said, what's going on here? You know, this isn't spiritual. And then I realized sometimes the beginning of effective action in the world, the beginning of good citizenship, sometimes is what feels like anger inside. And the reason it can be spiritualized and the way to channel and frame anger in a spiritual context is to have the presence of mind and the inner stability, what the Bhagavad Gita calls equanimity and loss and gain and pleasure and pain and victory and defeat. If you have a measure of equanimity, you can witness that anger and then say, what can I do with this? And instead of framing it as, I'm angry, it becomes, okay, something is stirring feelings of anger and outrage in me. What can I do about it? And so sometimes anger can be a signal that something outside of yourself needs attending to. And then you turn inward and spiritualize it, channel it into good work. And that can be anything. It doesn't mean you become a social activist necessarily. But if you are going to address it, and you are going to teach your children about it, or talk to your neighbors about it, or go to the city council meeting, whatever it is, we have a duty. And it's not unspiritual. I mean, I turn to role models like Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King, and we're still mourning the loss of John Lewis. 
he was an angry man, but he was filled with love and compassion and all the qualities we hold as spiritual virtues. And then you channel that to make the world a better place in whatever way you can. Yes, I get that. How interesting that you are coming out with this book that you worked on way before a pandemic, a protest, social unjust, Donald Trump, you know, spiritual practice for crazy times. It's almost as if you predicted it. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for that. (laughs) I know. Well, it wasn't before Donald Trump. In fact, you know, the, the Trump era is part of what gave rise to it. It was a year or so ago, a little more, maybe 15 months ago that I thought of doing the book. Because I saw so much disturbance and anxiety and concern among people who have been on a spiritual path for decades and who were terribly upset by what was going on in the world and in some cases sort of neglecting their spiritual practice because they were so upset. I'd meet people newer to the spiritual path that were trying to reconcile their newly awakened spiritual inkling with these feelings of confusion and overwhelm in the world. And I thought, well, this is the time when we need spiritual practice more than ever. Mm-hmm. And it's a time when people seem to have more excuses than ever not to do spiritual practice. So I should write about it. And it started with an article. And then people responded well to the article. And I was talking to my publishers and I said, you know, Maybe there's a book in it. And so we decided to go ahead. You know, it takes a long time to write a book and edit it and proofread it and all that. And I happened to be in India when the pandemic broke out. And I lead tours of India. And we were going around. And the news started getting more and more dire. But we managed because it was before everything shut down. Our timing was good. We turned in mid-February just before, you know, everything shut down changing planes it was a little perilous but it worked out but during that time the book was in production and when i returned i had the final proofreading and i thought should i change anything because of the pandemic and we realized no the whole point of the many many exercises and guidelines and instructions and tips for different kind of practice in the book were meant to be timeless you know, we were in a particularly crazy time. But one of the points I wanted to make in the book is that these practices, even in good times, are important to utilize in your life. And that in any of our individual lives, you know, we could open up next week or next year into some golden age where the economy is good and everybody is healthy and all that. But in your particular life, that it can get crazy. There's always going to be challenges, difficulties with relationships, people getting sick, people dying. This is just the human side of the spiritual life. And so we didn't feel the need to change. Frankly, if I thought about it, the one thing I would add, because of the pandemic, if I were able to go back and add it to the book, would be that many of the same spiritual practices that bring us inner peace and strength in the midst of crazy times are also very healthy. They're very good for the immune system. And Mm -hmm. at this time, I would want to emphasize that too. Beautiful. Very profound. 
So I can keep saying that there's chaos, there's confusion, we've got an election coming up. Oh, boy. How do we ground ourselves before all of this continues? Because how much can Americans handle? We're still so young. We're not like India. We're not like Africa. We're not definitely not like China. But we're a young civilization, and it's almost as if we're now going through tremendous amount of growing pains. But have we been rooted in deep culture, deep spirituality, a deep sense of prayer that can sustain the trauma that we're going through right now as a nation? How do you think we should ground ourselves to prepare for what's about to come? Uh, thank you for that perspective. You know, we often forget because, you know, we always think of ourselves as the world's oldest democracy, but we are very young as a civilization, especially if you've you know spent any time in venerable places like India and China. But maybe we'll come out of this growing pains of adolescence and be healthy young adults. I uh, hope we can make it in a healthy way. America is an interesting place because it's so diverse. So there's not a uniform spiritual approach we would advocate for everybody or that we come back to as a collective. Individual groups can do that. Individual segments of society can do that. But we have vast numbers of people. And this is one of our strengths, I think. I think one of the great things about modern life from a spiritual perspective is there's this openness. We have access to the wisdom of the world, of all the world's traditions. There's no restrictions of geography and time and place to our access to wise teachings. So we can be selective and we can be very individual in our approach to what works for us. And this is, I think, a great a new era in spiritual inclusiveness and openness and the ability to carve our own proper way in the world. At the same time, it's more confusing. And so we need to, as individuals, find the practices that work for us, find the spiritual framework that works for us. And in my experience, there are certain universals that hold, regardless of the culture, regardless of the time period, regardless of the history. And one of them is that we are spiritual beings and that beyond the personality, beyond the ego, beyond the boundaries of our body, we are eternal, infinite beings. We have peace and wisdom within us that we need to learn to tap. And we are connected in that deep spiritual way, and if nothing has taught us how connected we all are, it's, uh, you know, a pandemic where even breathing on somebody can have a big effect on every week. You know, a global crisis is a reminder of our intricateness, but where we're interconnected is in this realm of spirit. And so I come back to the venerable truths that I tried to convey in in you know contemporary terms in my book that methods like deep meditation that open the door to that inner sanctuary so we mm-hmm. can have refuge so we can sustain our inner peace our inner strength and draw from that so that we can carry out our duties and responsibilities 
in a more effective and wise and compassionate manner. It's a very old formula, as you know, but it holds up. What do you think is the vision of the future as we come to a close to our wonderful conversation? I've been asking people this. What are you seeing in the future? What do you see? What do you feel? I just got my answer a few days ago after asking this question four months ago. I'm curious to hear what are you foreseeing in the future, and let's look at the future within the next two years. Well, first, I have to say I'm looking forward to your answer, and so I hope you share it. But I've written a lot about spiritual history, and so people often ask me about the future, and I often joke that writing about the past is hard enough, let alone you know, predicting the future. I will say this. I have a feeling the next few months are just going to get crazier. And so we need the inner practices to sustain ourselves and protect ourselves even more than ever. What will come out later, next year, the year after, I think it's the opportunity. When I'm in an optimistic mode, I see a lot of good coming out of this destructive period. In what way? Well, I mentioned earlier we are awakening to our interdependence. Many, many people are in dire straits right now, but also many other people have the opportunity because of the enforced seclusion to rethink their lives and to rethink what's important and to make this something of a retreat or a sabbatical. And I think many, many people will come out with a deeper sense of their own inner nature and their own spirituality. And I hope in a more socially responsible frame of mind, because the difficulties and challenges of modern life and the injustices of society are right in front of us. They're unavoidable. And when we realize what's important, when we realize the source of our happiness and well-being is within us, that it's not dependent on being rich and achieving everything and having more and more goodies, then we can be more compassionate and more loving and more generous. And I think that is one of the possible outcomes of all this. But I've always refrained from making big global predictions because I firmly believe that it's in our hands. So if we want that, we can make it happen. And I hope what comes out of it is a stronger sense of individual responsibility to contribute to making the world a better place and to creating the outcomes we hope will come out of this. And if we do that, then we can be assured of a healthier and wiser and more spiritually awakened future. Thank you for that. I think it's important for us to keep optimistic, that's for sure, despite whatever the reality might be. And that's what we've got. That's what we have control of. And the energy of that optimism could be our way out of this mess. Yes, and it's healthy. There's a lot of good research that optimism is good for the health. Yes, I agree. Well, look, I have loved having you on. I would love for us to continue our conversation when the book is out, Spiritual Practice. It is out. Oh, gosh. Congratulations. (laughs) You see, this is what happens when you're locked up in the house. 
<laughs> what know, day is it? Who am I? Congratulations <laughs> on that. So Thank are you, you planning to do any sort of an online virtual stuff with the book as we move forward? Yeah, there's a lot of my talks and workshops that were scheduled around the book will now be online. People, if they're interested, can go to philipgoldberg.com and my calendar's up and you can sign up for my mailings and all that. And I will add one thing, you know, there are meditation instructions and other instructions in the book. So I created an audio with some meditation instructions that I thought would be easier for people to follow, and I'm making it available free for anybody who buys the book. So you can find out about that on my website. Okay, beautiful. So listen, thank you so much for your wisdom and your presence. I deeply appreciated it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. All the best, and please be careful and safe, okay? You too. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I loved meeting Philip Goldberg. Contact him at philipgoldberg.com. I've been very, very sensitive to very, very genuine and authentic people, and I'll say that he's one of them. I can feel it from their voice, their tone, the way they respond to the questions and the thoughts and the ideas. I guess I'm just thirsting for that more and more because that's what a pandemic and a lockdown and a protest and a job insecurity and this and that will do to you. It will make you want to go back to the real to make you at least turn up the volume and what is real. So to get a copy of his book, again, check out his website, Philip Goldberg, and the name of the book is Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And guess what? We're actually here to love each other the same. Let's do that. Please, let's do that. And be well. Take care of each other. Remember to pause for your minute of silence. For traffic control, every hour and hour, take about two or three minutes of calm and send your peaceful vibrations to the world. Here's Karen Drucker. I am blessed. Be well.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.